0: It's been a great morning already here at John Safari, and I'm excited to see what God is doing and will do in our final hour here together at this 11.30 service. Um, before I jump into the message, I want to tell you two great reminders I had this last week. I, I went with a team from our church to serve with and uh, to serve some of our folks in North Africa, Middle East. We bounced around a couple different locations. I had two great reminders, one was how encouraged I was to see where God is at work. I know when you watch the news, it seems like everything, particularly in the Middle East, is kind of doom and gloom. The reality is there are a lot of people coming to Christ in that part of the world. And we met a lot of our sent ones and other missionaries who, who talked about scores of people coming to Christ, particularly Muslims, who were coming to Jesus You're not gonna hear that on the news, but it's so encouraging to see God at work. And and the second reminder is that we wanna join him in that work, And, and I need to be reminded of my role as a pastor. You need to be reminded of your role as a church to call out the called. If you're a believer in Christ, every single one of you is to be living on mission, helping people find truth, belonging, and purpose in Jesus. And while we need to do that across the street with our neighbors, when you do that at the gym and at work and all the places that we live, work and play there are a number of you that God wants to pluck out of East Cobb and put in a in a difficult place where he is working to serve and reach the most unreached peoples around the globe And that's something that we are praying for you and praying with you and are believing that God is doing a great work. This week, with it being one weekend, we're excited to see God work in the lives of students. And we're trusting that a lot of these students are gonna be saved. A lot of them will come to know Christ. A lot of them will stop playing religion and actually have a relationship with Jesus. We're also praying that many of them would surrender to a call to go, uh, to go to the nations. So there's so much at stake, there's so much good happening, God is at work, and what a privilege it is to be a part of that work. As we look at Matthew chapter 6 today, we're going to jump into a parable where Jesus gets at our heart. And to do this, I want to bring you on a little historical tour and comparison of two people in North Africa, this time in Cairo, Egypt. One of these men you have heard of, the other perhaps not. The first man I want to introduce you to is a man by the name of William Borden. Most likely you've never heard of him, he grew up in the suburbs of Chicago, wealthy. His father was the, um, the founder of, of what is the Borden Dairy Company, worth millions. And so when William was 16 years old, uh, he got a trip around the world. That's what his father gave to him. That's what you give all rich kids. You give them a trip around the world. And though he went for pleasure, God used that trip as God does when our students go on trips like this to grip his heart for the lostness of the world. He came back questioning what that all meant. He graduated high school, then went on to college, went to Yale University. And at Yale, he lived for Christ. He was a man's man. He was a leader. And he also served the poor. He started homeless ministries. He he led countless student Bible studies. In fact, a revival of sorts happened at Yale during his time there. Many attribute to him, at least from an earthly standpoint, we always attribute revivals to God. After college and after some grad school at Princeton, he wrestled with what to do. His father told him that that because he wanted to go to, to be a missionary, he would, he would no longer allow him to work in his company, somewhat abandoned by his father. And by the way, it's interesting, one of the greatest hurdles to kids going to the field are Christian parents. But his father died. William inherited a whole lot of money, millions. And at the age of 25, William had this grip on his heart to reach Chinese Muslims with the gospel. And he went. He stopped by Cairo, Egypt, because he needed to learn Arabic, which is essential if you're gonna reach Muslim people. And there in a small little house where he was staying for a few months, he caught spinal meningitis and had died at the age of 25. In his will, he bequeathed most of his wealth to his church, to a number of different charities and mission organizations. All told, William Borden, at the age of 25, died with a call in his life, and he gave what would be the equivalent today of something like 25 to 30 millions of dollars. There is a tomb that is his gravestone uh, in Cairo, Egypt. You can go to it today in the American Cemetery. At the bottom of, of the tombstone, it reads this, apart from faith in Christ, there is no explanation for such a life. Now, let's compare William Borden with another rich young ruler that lived thousands of years before William, King Tutankhamun. King Tut. We know this guy. And King Tut's grave was found by a British archaeologist, and in that tomb, it was filled with, with all of his treasures and his gold, as pharaohs were often buried with their treasure, with their gold. And we have much of what we have today because it was still intact that many years later. He, like all pharaohs, wanted to be not only a ruler, but considered himself to be a god. Now let me ask you a question. Two men, both fabulously wealthy, two graves, two lives, two fortunes. Which one was the better steward of his money? Jesus Christ talked a lot about money. In fact, there are like 2,400 or so verses in the Bible about money or wealth or possessions, which is interesting because if we know anything about God and his self-sufficiency, or to use a theological term, it's his aseity, God doesn't need anything from us. Did you know that? He doesn't doesn't need us. He, He doesn't need anything from us, and he certainly doesn't need our money. God is not in heaven worried about his 401K. God's not worried about inflation in heaven. Yet God talks so much about money. Jesus talks so much about money because money, like few other things, has a way of revealing what's really in our heart. So we're going to read a parable today that's about wealth and possessions, but it's really about our heart. I want you to take your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to look at a Passage of scripture, verse 19 to 24. It's such an important scripture to examine our heart when it comes to wealth. And I think it reveals a wonderful principle for us to live by. I've I've taught this passage a couple times now, even being your pastor here at Johnson Ferry, because I think it's a very critical passage, but it's worth coming to again and again and again. Matthew 6, verse 19 to 24. And if you have it there in front of you and you're physically able, would you stand? I'd love to read this for you and over you, Matthew six nineteen through 24. This is a, a word that Jesus gives to his disciples. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, Where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So then, if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Father, I confess to you, on my, just my heart, and I'm sure it's true of a lot of people in this room, that we do try to serve both you and money. And Father, we, we do invest a lot of our treasure into the things of this earth. So would you help us, Father, to hear this word with fresh eyes and an open heart? Even if we've heard it countless times before, to re-examine once again, not just the status of our bank account, but more importantly, what's going on in our heart. So Lord, teach us today. We're listening, and we'll pray that in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. You guys have a seat. I often think about this verse as teaching a treasure principle. Now, there's a wonderful little book by Randy Alcorn called The Treasure Principle. I would encourage you to pick that up if you want to learn a basic understanding of how God views money. It's It's a wonderful little book. But I think when Jesus is talking about money, he gives us a wonderful principle to live by that's so practical, that's true for every single person, whether you're a believer or not. And I think it's found in verse 21 when he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I think this is the big treasure principle. In fact, there's one big thing I'd love for you to get today from this teaching. It's this one principle, this one idea, the treasure principle, as I'm calling it. What is it? The treasure principle is this. My heart follows my treasure. My heart follows my treasure. Now, you think it'll be the other way around. Your treasure follows your heart. But Jesus says, No, no, no. Your heart follows your treasure. In other words, wherever your treasure is, that thing that you spend your time and your attention and your money on, your heart is going to gravitate to that thing. So the decisions you need to make are where are we going to spend our treasure because your heart will follow your treasure. And you know this is true. It's true of so many things in life. When Terica and I first got married, we lived in an apartment. It was a great apartment. I'm grateful for that apartment. But after a while, you get to where you want a house, something that, you, you know, you own and that's yours. And so we, we bought a house, and like all of you homeowners, you don't just buy the house, you buy all the problems with the house, amen? You buy all kinds of things that now demand your time and attention that you didn't have with an apartment. You didn't have a yard to take care of. You didn't have a number of things to take care of, and now you're taking, and it's simple because you've invested money in this thing, and your, your time, your treasure dictates your heart. It's true of the things you buy, even good things, like a boat. Some of you have a boat. If you can afford a boat. Great, buy a boat. But as you know the old joke, there are two great days in a, in, in a boat owner's life. What are they? The day you buy it and the day you sell it. Yeah, because that boat takes a lot of time and attention, and you got to fix it up. And then you can't let your neighbor have a nicer boat than you, so you got to add a bunch of toys to it. And, 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 and in other words, your Time your heart follows the boat. It's true of our kids, the things our kids are into, sports. We love sports in this community. And even though that can be an idol for us at times, we just I love sports, I love to watch my kids play sports. So your kid's really into a sport, and then you want to go to a next level in the sport, and they're on a travel team or something, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's great, they're good at that sport, they love to play the sport, but you know how it works. The travel team requires a lot of a lot of hotel stays and a lot of driving the car and a lot of go and, and after a while your life tends to kind of revolve around the thing. Why? It's pretty simple. Your your heart follows your treasure. The reason Jesus talks so much about our treasure and where our treasure is, is because it reveals where our heart really is. And Jesus wants our heart to be with him. When when I'm done talking to you today, I'm so excited in this service because we have a number of people that are gonna be baptized, which is an awesome, awesome declaration that their heart is with Jesus. But let's, let's wrestle with this text a little bit. I want to ask four fundamental questions to really examine what Jesus says here and to ask ourselves, God, how's my heart? So the first question I want us to ask, I have four fundamental questions we're going to look at today. The first question is this, where is my home? Where is my home? Where do I consider my home to be? Jesus, in verse 19 and 20, says the same thing, just flips it the first time it's negative, then it's positive. He's really saying the same thing. What does he say? Verse 19. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroys and where thieves um, break in and steal, but here's the opposite. Verse 20, store your treasures, where? In heaven. Why in heaven? Well, because in heaven, neither moth nor rust destroys And thieves do not break in or steal. Now there's an interesting play on words here in the original language in this text. And it literally reads something like this. Don't treasure your treasures. Jesus is not against you treasuring things. He's not even against you storing up treasures. But Jesus knows that we have a tendency to store the wrong treasures in the wrong place. And Jesus wants us to store the right treasures in the right place. The reason why it's impractical to store your treasures on earth is because on earth, well, he just says it's temporary. On earth, a moth can, can eat something. Rust can destroy something. On earth, a thief could come in and steal something. So let's think about the moth thing. Why do we say that? Well, Jesus' original audience, most of them were not wealthy. And clothes were a big deal. By big deal, I mean they were hard to come by. Often you might just have one or two garments that you might have made or someone made for you, and you would have to take care of those garments, and they would wear out, and a moth could eat them. And Jesus is saying that, that you need to take care of those garments. Now, we hear that differently because we have so many clothes, most of us do. And some of, some of y'all are really into fashion. Some of you are accidentally into fashion. You just never threw anything away, and then that thing came back again, and you were able to wear it again, you know? But clothes wear out. All of our stuff wears out. I have this, this shirt that I have, that I got my senior year in high school. I, I went to the University of South Carolina, so I got this South Carolina shirt, and it's kind of a workout shirt. Um, it's, it's like sleeveless. It would go perfect with like jean shorts and a mullet. Like it, it's just it's a great shirt. And, uh, and I, I but, but the shirt over time is broken down. In fact, right now it's shredded. It looks like I got mauled by a bear. That's what it looks like. And, and Terrica hates that shirt. Uh, my kids hate that shirt. So I take great pride in wearing that shirt around the house, you know? I love, I'm never, never going to throw away this shirt. I love this shirt, right? But it breaks down. Our stuff breaks down. And Jesus says, don't, don't, invest, don't invest your heart, your treasure in stuff that you, you can't even keep forever. Proverbs 23, verse 4 and 5 says this. I love this picture. It says, don't wear yourself out trying to get rich. Be wise enough to know when to quit. In the blink of an eye, wealth disappears, for it will sprout wings and fly away like an eagle. Imagine that. If right now in the parking lot, your car just sprouted wings and flew away. Fly like an eagle. Yeah, it's right there. So the next time you buy something, just just imagine it flying off. Jesus is into you storing up treasures, but the right treasures, eternal treasures. Now, y'all, in your own time, I'd love for you to look up all the Bible verses, just Google, uh, say, what are eternal treasures? And look up all the Bible verses. Here's a quick summary, if you wanna just get started. Here's a a couple things to think about. I'm not even giving you verses necessarily, but here's a quick little chart. What What are eternal treasures? What are treasures in heaven? Well, the Bible gives us several, here are six, For instance, first and foremost, a person, Jesus, is an eternal treasure. Number two, a place, heaven, heaven with the Lord, that is an eternal treasure. Three, peace, a contentment that surpasses all understanding even in the hardest times in life is an eternal treasure. Power, we have eternal responsibility. You may not know this, the Bible actually says that that we will have some measure of authority in the new kingdom. Read texts like Luke 19. Possessions, this text is about possessions, we'll have possessions in heaven, and pleasure. By pleasure, I mean a a joy, a joy that comes only from our heavenly Father. So Jesus says, don't store the wrong treasure in the wrong place. One of my favorite movies of all time is is Field of Dreams. Anybody like Field of Dreams? I mean, it's kind of a classic baseball movie, I love that. And there's this great scene, there's several great scenes. Uh, The best scene is when James Earl Jones does that baseball speech. Man, wouldn't you love to have this voice? Baseball. I can't even even fake it. But there's this one scene where shoeless Joe Jackson looks at Kevin Costner's character, and and he looks at him, and he's looking around this field, and all these dead baseball players around. He says, is this heaven? And He says, no, this is Iowa. (laughs) We, We aren't to invest the best of ourselves here. This isn't heaven. This is Iowa, where's your home? The second question goes with it, how's my heart? How is my heart? I think this is true whether you're a teenager and you'd make a minimum wage somewhere, or whether you're making buku's of money. Everybody here needs to ask this question, how is my heart? Jesus flips the analogy and uses an interesting word picture in verses 23. 2 and 23, he says, the eye is the lamp of the body, so then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now, the word that the New American, my New American translation here translates as the eye being clear, other translations might use a word like good, healthy, even single, single single-minded. Jesus isn't trying to give a biology lesson about how how eyes work. He's just making a basic point that your eyes allow light to come into your body. And if your eye is healthy, clear, then light can come through it and light goes out of it. If it's not healthy, if it's dim, if it's even evil, as he will say, then it reveals that there's darkness in there. So Jesus wants you to assess what's really going on on the inside of your heart. That's why he talks about money. Every year a lot of you go to a doctor, or at least you should go to a doctor, get some kind of annual checkup. I know I go to a doctor every year and and he'll do an EKG. He'll look at my heart and I'll get a little readout that gives a print of what's going on in my heart. I I may feel my heart. I might say my heart feels good. I don't feel any problems in my heart. But then I look at an EKG and I have actual data to back up the way that I feel. Or sometimes maybe it reveals something that I don't feel. Did you know that you have in your possession, a spiritual EKG? You know what it is? It's your bank account. Your bank account reveals so much about the condition of your heart. In fact, I thought this would be fun just to expose one of you. I actually got one of your bank accountants, i only want to put it on the screen, and I'm just kidding, I'm not doing that. (laughs) But seriously, if you and I had coffee and we had a computer in front of us and we just scanned through all your purchases, it would say a lot about your heart. And Jesus wants us to think about the condition of our heart. I think that's why Jesus talks so much about giving. I think that's why the Bible is filled with so many, so many encouragements to give. Sometimes people ask, you know, do we still have to tithe today? Like on on this side of the cross, is that still required? And the answer is complicated. I don't know how much you've thought about tithing. If you're like most people, you're like, I don't wanna think about tithing. But God actually says a lot about how we are to give to Him. So just here's just a quick quick overview how the Bible talks about giving to God. The first instance we have a tithing in the Bible is when Abraham, after God uses him to, to win a war, tithes 10% of his income, and Abraham was a rich dude, He gave 10% to Melchizedek, this priest. That's the first time we have any instance of someone tithing. A couple hundred years later, there's Moses and delivery of the people out of Egypt. And then then the law comes. And in the law, it codified that the people of God, Israel in particular, were to give to the Lord tithes and offerings. Which, by the way, though tithing means tenthing. They were to give above that. In fact, if you you study it, you'll see that on average, most Israelites gave between 10 and 20% of their income to the temple and to the work of the Lord. Well, then you fast forward to the ministry of Jesus. And did he say anything about tithing? Well, he did. One time, Jesus mentions tithing in the New Testament, Matthew 23. This is what he says. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! So you see where this is headed, all right? For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. Now, Jesus is making a point to Pharisees that were so legalistic, they would take even spices. Imagine today that you went and and you got some dill out of your cupboard. It's been sitting there for 13 years. So let's say that you, you dumped it out on the table. And then you, you separated exactly 10% of all those little tiny leaves and you felt so good about yourself that you did all that. And Jesus says, you guys are so worried about that stuff, but you have forgotten the heart behind it, the love and the justice and the mercy of God. Well, then Jesus dies on a cross. He's raised again. The new covenant comes, the Holy Spirit's here. And the question is, well, we're not, we're not Israel like the old covenant. Are we still required to give? Well, the answer is the Bible doesn't really say. At least it doesn't tell us to tie the new covenant. Actually, the assumption in the new covenant is that you so understand the great, awesome grace of God that 10% seems like barely anything, given the fact that Christ has given 100% of himself to you. And so it's really about the heart. I love what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians, I think this is one of the greatest verses in the New Testament on giving. He says, now I say this, the one who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and the one who sows generously will also reap generously. Each one must do just as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or in a compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. He's talking about giving money. He's not saying that you can say, well, you may give money, I give my time. No, 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 the Bible doesn't give you that out. We're all to give money as disciples of Jesus. But ultimately, we're gonna have to stand in front of God and give an account for what we gave to him. And I think that God wants to push all of us towards a greater level of, of dependence and trust. And ultimately, God says, I want you to invest your money in the right places, why? Because your heart follows your treasure. See, if your treasure isn't in the kingdom of God, then your heart's not going to be in the kingdom of God. But if your treasure is in the kingdom of God, your heart will be in the kingdom of God. See, your heart follows your treasure. So how is your heart? How is your heart? Number three, third fundamental question, who is my master? Who is my master? We don't ask that question a lot. Jesus says in verse 24, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Now, when I read that, at first you're thinking, I kind of disagree with that, Jesus, because I mean, I serve two things all the time. If you're, let's say you have a family, I serve my spouse and I serve my kids, two things at the same time. At work, I serve my customers, I serve my boss, two things at one time. We, we do that all the time, but the word for serve here that Jesus uses is actually the word doulos. You know what that means? It's the word slave. He says that you cannot be a slave of two masters. You have to pick. A lot of us think that we can serve God and money, but Jesus says, no, 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 you have, you have to choose which one is gonna be your master. Money makes a wonderful servant, it makes a terrible God. And Jesus Christ knows that about money, and and he wants us to understand that, that we are to hold lightly to the things of this earth, so that we have more and more of God. You cannot serve God and wealth. There's a verse that I've been reflecting on a lot lately, for whatever reason, in the Psalms. Psalm 16, I don't know why, I think, I just, I love this verse, Psalm 16, You will make known to me the way of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand, there are pleasures forever. I wonder, I wonder if we actually believe that. Do we actually believe that in God, there is a source of joy And nothing else can provide. Your your spouse can't provide that joy. Your kids can't provide that joy. Your sports can't provide that, that joy. Your hobbies, your job, your health, your beauty, your power, nothing, nothing can provide the joy that only can be provided by your heavenly Father. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. And in your right hand, There are pleasures, not just in this life, but forever. Who's your master? That's what's at the heart of the gospel, isn't it? That Christ is your master. That God is your master. We so live our lives like we are the center of the world and everybody else, including God, revolves around my needs and my wants and my desires and my pain and my issues and But the gospel comes when you believe that Christ died for your sins and and you have this reorientation where now Christ is at the center of your life and it's about you revolving around his great purposes for you. He's our master. Is he yours? It will show up in where you spend your treasure. So the fourth question, the last one we want to wrestle with that might be the most important for you to deal with before the Lord is this. What's my next step? What's my next step? Particularly when it comes to giving, what is your next step? And I don't know what your next step is. I think it'd be different for a lot of different people in this room. I don't know where you've your walk with Christ is. A lot of you are not believers. Some of you have been believers for 35 years. Some of you are just now beginning this journey. Some of you are kind of struggling with some doubt and skepticism. I don't know where you are, but we all have a next step when it comes to what we do with our wealth and our resources. Like here, here's a couple of things that might be examples of what your next step is. Maybe some of you just need to simply take stock. Where am I financially? Where, where, where is my treasure going? And that's as simple as you just looking at your bank statement going, God, where is my treasure going? And that's something you need to do. Maybe money is keeping you from fully following God. Maybe for you it is the tithe to get 10%. Maybe for some of you thinking, man, I'm going, I'm like giving nothing now. I can't jump to 10%. Okay, well, maybe you can move from zero to 1%. Or 3% to 4%. Or 7% to 8%. Oh, hey, we're the new covenant. Why stop at 10? We'll go 10 to 12. I see that 12 rated to 13. We'll keep going. I don't know what you give. God does. Maybe some of you, your next step is having a really difficult conversation with your spouse about some of the not so great ways you're spending your money. Maybe your next step is getting a plan to get out of debt. Maybe some of your next step is simplifying. Maybe downsizing. Do you really need the stuff you have? Maybe God's calling some of you, like I said at the beginning, to go to the mission field and releasing all this stuff that's captured your heart. What's your next step? For a lot of you, your next step is to discover the joy that's found only in God through Jesus. And that's why we're gonna watch people be baptized here in a second. I love this song that we sing sometimes. I think it so captures the essence of this text and the essence of the gospel. Graves in the Gardens, it says this, I searched the world, but it couldn't fill me. Isn't that true? I mean, I've looked everywhere in the world. It could not fill me. Man's, man's empty praise and treasure's that fade are never enough. They're never enough. And I love the chorus, there's nothing better than you. Oh, there's nothing better than you. That's at the heart of the gospel and his love for you, that you discover that when you're saved by his grace and you experience the presence of God, you can say, God, there's nothing better than you. So that's worth singing about, that's worth declaring, that's worth celebrating baptism, and that's what we're gonna do today is to celebrate baptism. I'm gonna ask you guys, I know there's a temptation, it's 12.30, you guys wanna leave, don't. If you gotta go to work or something, fine, but if you're just leaving to beat the Methodist to the restaurant. There's nowhere more important to be than right here celebrating life change. Don't miss out, don't miss out. Father, we just give this time to you and we thank you for the goodness of the gospel. We thank you for Christ. We thank you for life change. We thank you for these being baptized. We thank you that, God, you have something more for us than just hoarding our possessions to make us feel better about ourselves, Lord Jesus. Would we invest our treasure in heaven where moth can't eat it and rust can't destroy it and thieves can't steal it? God, would you work on our hearts? There's nothing, nothing, nothing better than you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.